Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Black Fashion History, the only podcast, as far as I know it, that's educating you about the contributions of Black people worldwide to the fashion industry. I'm your host, Taniqua Russ, and I'm both excited and exhausted to come to you this week with another episode. Y'all, I know we have had a tough week. Uh and that's being generous to and when I say generous I mean that's being um that's only referring to this past week because many of you who are listening are black people and know that the events that transpired with um George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery are not the only instances of us being hurt and hunted and killed, you know, simply because of the color of our skin. Like we can go on and on and name countless names over just the past five years, you know, where those things have happened. And I think collectively we are exhausted. I know what everyone's feeling. I know it's probably a lot for you as well. And so I hope that in the midst of all of the fighting for justice and equity and in the midst of, you know, the protesting and making our voices heard and continuing to put, you know, our bodies out there on the line for each other, that we've also taken time out for ourselves to rest our mind. Because it is trauma to continue to see some of the images that we see, to watch those kinds of videos over and over. You know, it's traumatic. So I hope you all have been taking the time to care for yourself and care for your families. I know that that's something that I've been working at as well, because again, and I can't say this enough, but it is exhausting. While I do feel exhausted, I also feel proud and appreciative to Every last one of you who has um, fought and fought continuously, not just this time, but who always fight, get out there and protest and vote or, you know, donate, post on social media, talk, have conversations in your communities, all of that. Just put yourselves out there to continue to fight for justice and equity and freedom from this oppressive system. You know, I'm very proud of you. I'm very thankful to you and appreciative, you know, to you. And I did and I want to dedicate this episode specifically to everyone who's been doing the work. We are not new to this. We are true to this. You know, our forefathers, our parents, grandparents, great grandparents have fought over the years and we are doing the same and as black people we have not only fought with our voices um, we fought with our votes we fought with our bodies and we've also fought with our dress and that's what today's episode is about I think you fellow fashion enthusiasts will enjoy hearing about how fashion has been used by activists in the past to protest and to make black voices heard uh specifically denim or you know blue jeans as people like to call it like when we think about jeans jeans we consider now a versatile piece of clothing is also considered a very american piece of clothing the way we see denim today isn't the way that it has always been and it's funny that 
we consider denim slash jeans to be this all-American item of clothing. And if you ask any black person or any person of color, really, they'll let you know that um, racism and discrimination and injustice is equally as all-American as something like denim and apple pie. Uh, And that's funny because denim and racism do go hand in hand. (laughs) So I'm going to take us all the way back to the 1860s to 1870s during the reconstruction era and um, the era of sharecropping and I think it can be it can even be argued that denim goes back even further than that but during this time plantation owners bought the sharecroppers that work their land uh, denim denim overall specifically because jeans was a very sturdy material it was rugged it could withstand tears um, something that could be used out in the fields but also and this is the key thing honestly is that it created a contrast against the white plantation owners and what they wear and the way that they look because they always wore suits and respectable quote-unquote dress or Sunday dress. It created this contrast between them and the black sharecroppers that work their land. And so denim and denim overall specifically became seen as the workman's clothing, but not just the workman's clothing, but the black worker's clothing. There was a point in time where it was actually referred to as Negro clothing. Like they called denim overalls Negro clothes. Denim was kind of an identifier of not just being a worker and honestly not just being a black worker, but in a way uh, a less than black worker because again I told as I said earlier it's that it was that contrast between oh this sharecropper that works for me works for my land kind of in another way of enslavement compared to the white white plantation owners who looked a certain way or dressed a certain way Now, fast forward to the 1960s, where we have the civil rights movements and civil rights organizations like the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, which, you know, was most notably associated with with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. because he was their first president, as well as the NAACP and other um, black civil rights organizations of that nature. When it comes to dress, organizations like SCLC and NAACP and those major or mainstream civil rights organizations of the 1960s focus their the physical appearance of their activism on respectability. When you think about the images that you see of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Coretta Scott King, Rosa Parks, John Lewis, you know, all of those people, you tend to see them in suits or in skirts, women with their hair pressed or curled with hats and gloves and collared shirts, all of that. It was a very clean cut suit and tie Sunday's best kind of dress. And that projected an image of respectability um, because it addressed sort of the mainstream ideas the excuse me the white supremacist ideas of black people uh and so wearing the sunday's best and all of that projected this idea of look at this good negro don't these good negro deserve their rights i think that on one level 
the choice of dress by the mainstream civil rights movement had to do with you know, obviously respectability politics in the black community, which is something that we deal with today, is that if we protest in a certain way, if we look a certain way, if we act a certain way, or if we maintain um, this certain level of proximity to whiteness in terms of what uh, what white people say is appropriate, there's a level of respect that we'll gain. So I think it had on one level had to do with respectability politics, but I also venture to say, and this is my opinion, obviously, it also had to do with juxtaposing this image of this positive and respectful black person versus this animalistic, um, these animalistic white supremacists. So if you think about the pictures that you see from the 1960s civil rights movement, think about things like the march on Edmund Peters Bridge or um, sit-ins, all of that, you'll see black people, like I said before, in their Sunday's best, looking like black people who are um, like black women who are your homemaker next door, black men who work in your offices, or looking like not bad people, people who don't cause any trouble, being attacked with water hoses and dogs and tear gas and all of these things. It causes some cognitive dissonance in the mind when you consider what the media even back then said of black people how cartoon images and uh, television shows and minstrel shows and all of that tried to paint black people um, as these animals black men as these ravaging animals trying to get white women or black women as these over sexualized creatures and that compared to these respectable or upstanding looking black citizens being attacked because they want their rights it was also to play with the ideas that white people have about black people and make them go like hmm those don't look like those people don't look like animals to me those people don't look like those sexualized women that they say black women are those men don't look like the rapists and everything that they say black men are. I think it's the same reason we think about the images that the media chooses to show when something happens to a black person versus when a white person does something. You know, the respectable image of the white person that they show versus the worst, most gangster, drug dealing kind of looking picture they can find of the black person, even if they weren't someone who was involved in that life is to play with perception. I believe that, you know, many of the major civil rights movement at the time at the time also wanted to play with the ideas of perception and use that as a way to fight not only physically but visually in order for African Americans in this country to gain their freedom. Now with the major civil rights movements still underway, students started to gather to make their voices heard because they did not necessarily fall in line with the respectability politics or with the ways that the SCLC or the NAACP chose to protest or to make their voices heard. So in April of 1960 at Shaw University in Riley, North Carolina, which happens to be the first black college in the South, 
activist Ella Baker created a meeting, which is a gathering of students so that they'll be able to have a safe space to share their ideas and their tactics about equity and equality um, without the heavy influence and input of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. And from there, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, also known as the SNCC, was formed. And the SNCC approached their activism a little bit differently, specifically in what they wore. And I remember earlier when I was talking about denim and sharecropping and reconstruction. Now, SNCC activists, specifically the women, use denim as a tool to amplify their voices in the struggle and in the freedom movement. So they wore denim overalls for a variety of reasons. Like one very basic reason is because it was more practical than the, you know, the Sunday style or Sunday's best dress look of other major civil rights movements. Like if you think about women out there in the heat or whatever, walking for miles, you know, those shoes, the hair, many of the time the hair was pressed and curled and all of that and being arrested, like, that just wasn't going to cut it. Denim was more rugged. like It could withstand more. It was more comfortable. It was more practical for the movement. These young activists also wore denim as a sign of solidarity and unity amongst all classes of black people. When it comes to freedom fighting and Black Lives Matter movement, we have to understand that that includes all black lives. And Wearing denim overalls like sharecroppers did was a way for them to, in a sense, say all black lives matter as well. It was crossing the class lines. In the 1960s, SNCC women would go door to door in in rural areas, encouraging working class black people to register to vote and then also to fight for the rights to vote. As a working class person, imagine someone coming to your door in heels. Matter of fact, let me just make it real. That would be the equivalent of today of somebody going into a low income neighborhood with Gucci and like all these diamonds coming in with a Rolls Royce and all of that and telling you, oh, yeah, you need to um, you need to fight the power. You need to quit your job at these white men's organization because they don't respect us you need to quit your job at oppressive organizations and all of that and as a working class person or as a low-income person you are going to be looking at them like yeah that's easy for you to say because you have money you can stand not to work for certain organizations or not to do x y and z because your family's not going to be hurt and that was the same perspective or mind back then in that if you're going into these rural areas and you are asking these working class black people to register to vote and to protest to vote they are in danger of sometimes losing their jobs and losing their livelihoods and even though it's for a movement that is for all of us and affects all of us you're coming to someone in a seemingly different position and asking them to give up their livelihood and for them it was like yeah that's easy for you to do because you're a middle class black person you're upper class black person or whatever but I can't do that in the position that I'm in and very early on and very quickly the SNCC realized they had to 
if they had to change their tactic like if you are going to fight for the people you have to look like the people so they began to adopt this look of not just denim but also natural hair as they protest in this attire it not only addressed respectability and classism amongst the black community but it also represented to the world that not much has changed in this country since reconstruction not much has changed at all and lastly, SNCC women also use denim as a way to comment on the gender politics and issues within the civil rights movement. We love, 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 love to talk about Black Lives Matter um, and to fight for our brothers that have been treated unfairly. But, and we see it today. We don't make as much noise for our sisters who are treated unfairly. And we do not acknowledge the kind of double battle that they're failing, that they're facing as a black woman. We not only face racism, but we also face sexism. And that was no different in the 1960s. Denim was a way for women to protect themselves from sexual harassment and assault, but to also show that they contributed more to the movement than just being a pretty face or being an outward display of respectability. It was a way for them to also kind of throw caution to the wind when it came to attacks on their morality and sexuality. One thing that black women had to deal with consistently was being over-sexualized. Dressing quote-unquote respectably was one way for them to address their morality and kind of present themselves as, you know, black women who are not sexually immoral so for the activist women who chose to wear denim it was their kind of middle finger to whatever you thought about their morality like it was them saying I'm tired of dressing up to shape your perspective of my morality and denim was also a way to to kind of show that women were on an equal playing field as the men in the movement for freedom I love how activist women use denim as kind of a movement within a movement. Leave it to black women to not only fight for the freedom of all, but to address some of the problems within our own communities at the same time without losing focus. So you have these women and they wore denim to say, hey, um, there's a like while we're fighting for freedom and equity and all that there's a lot of classism going on and we need to fix that so I'm gonna fix that real quick but also there's a lot of sexism going on so we need to fix that there's a lot of sexism in the black community there's also sexism that we're receiving from white supremacists uh, so we're gonna comment on that as well and we're gonna do this march on Washington and we're gonna do these sit-ins and we're going to do these freedom rides and all of the above and we're going to fight for equity for our people it also just reminds me that what you say isn't the only voice you have we have all of these gifts talents and interests that God has given us to be used to make a change in this world and this is just one example of that so I hope this little tidbit of history has inspired you to use your interests your dress your voice your body to continue to fight for change in this world wherever you see that it's needed but right now specifically um, in dismantling oppressive systems 
And that's all I have for you guys. If you want to know more about the role of fashion in the civil rights movement and other movements for freedom, make sure you read the article SNCC Women, Denim, and the Politics of Dress by Dr. Tanisha C. Ford. That's where I got a lot of my information from today's episode. Also read the book Liberated Threads by Dr. Tanisha C. Ford. She discusses not just the role of denim, but the role of other types of dress and pieces of clothing around the world in different freedom movements, not just in America, but in South Africa, in the UK. It is a wealth of fashion political history, so make sure to check that out. I'll also be sharing my sources for this episode on Instagram. So if you're not doing so already, follow us on Instagram at Black Fashion History. Of course, if you love the show, Please share this episode with somebody, but most importantly, tune in again next week for another Black Fashion History installment. I love you all. Please stay safe and please stay hopeful. Bye-bye.